Hey, welcome with us. We're diving into a passage that we have for our message this morning from Luke chapter 19, and we're really going to be focusing in on verses 35 to 40. So while you're looking up Luke 19, verse 35 to 40, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Uh, some of the things that were taking place just before this passage is one of my favorite stories of Jesus interacting with a wee little man by the name of Zacchaeus. Um, you know, that old kid's rhyme, you know, uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Well, I relate really well to Zacchaeus because I've never been an exceptionally big guy. Uh, and so I really appreciated that story of Jesus calling Zacchaeus down from the tree by name and dining with him. There's something special that takes place in that story. Now, following up from that story, we have uh, a parable of the ten minas. And then going right into where we are here today, Luke 19, verse 35 to 40. Uh, and I'm going to be reading verse 38. So, would you read this with me? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, as we're looking into your word and as we're evaluating ourselves and, and how we celebrate you. Lord, would we have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you today. In your name I pray. Amen. So this is called Palm Sunday. It is called Palm Sunday primarily because people were waving palms. And there wasn't uh, a little detail in the story. Palms are waved when royalty is entering into the city, uh, coming into a conquest, con conquest, coming into a space of uh, renown and respect. And so what we find here in this particular story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king is that Jesus is also fulfilling a prophecy at this point. Um, the prophecy goes that, that, behold, your king rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so here, Jesus, right before coming towards Jerusalem, he sends his disciples out to find this colt that's not been ridden by anybody. And he says, okay, so go find it. You're going to find it tied up to a tree. How we knew that? Well, he's Jesus. Uh, so he sends two disciples out. They go out and the owner comes out. And Jesus had previously told them, says, listen, if the owner comes out and asks what you're doing, just tell him, hey, the Lord needs it. Okay, so that's in fact what happens. Hey, the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord needs it. And then they just brought the colt to Jesus. Now I'm sitting here thinking, if I were the owner... What a strange request. You know, like you, you, you come outside, you see two guys presumably looking like they're stealing something from you, and they say to you, the Lord needs it. I wonder what thoughts would have been running through my head at that point. Now, I, I tend to be a bit more cynical, and I'm just thinking that these guys are going to try to use my faith practice against me in some way and just steal my cult. Um, but it seems to indicate here that Jesus suggests to them that this is the response you offer this person. And when this person hears this response, they will allow you to have the colt. And so that's what happened. They bring the colt to Jesus, and we see the beginning stages of this Palm Sunday. And it's strange, really, when you stop to think about it, uh, the whole notion of Palm Sunday. This week... Jesus is being hailed in this Palm Sunday as the greatest person ever. And then just five days later, he's crucified. 
It's amazing how people can change their minds on things that quickly. So he was heading into Jerusalem during Passover. Passover uh, takes us back to the story uh, of, of Exodus where uh, the the Jewish people were to paint their door frames with lamb's blood. And then in doing so, we know that this, the, the angel of death was to pass over them and not take their children. So it's called Passover. Why? Because they were passed over. So they're here, they're celebrating Passover, this major event in their history. And, uh, and we find that in this time, Jerusalem is flooded. Not by water, but by people. Because this is one of the most significant celebrations within the Jewish calendar. Uh, so you, you kind of know like in the mall at Christmas, there's this bustling around that usually, I mean, certainly maybe not this past year, uh, but usually it's packed. It's full. People are going around. They're doing their financial exchanges. You see people all over the place. They're laughing. Some are crying. Some are yelling. And some are eating and, and shopping. And you get all those different kinds of things happening. Lots of different things going on. Lots of smells. Lots of new faces. People you've never seen before. It's just a similar idea. People were coming in from all over the place. And there was this anticipation now of this miracle worker coming into town. Overwhelming. Absolutely overwhelming. And so I want to look at some of the events that took place when Jesus rode into town on this donkey. What we find uh, is that when he came, it says here in verse 37, uh, sorry, verse 35, they brought it to Jesus, talking about the colt. They threw their cloaks on this colt and they put Jesus on it. And he went along and the people laid their cloaks on the road. This isn't... This isn't a small thing. Again, the idea of Jesus coming in the way he did is this notion of a conquering hero, this notion of this emerging king. And so the first thing we see people do with Jesus on this cult is show respect. Now, this is critical. I truly believe that when we're looking at the lives of the people that were following Jesus, when we're looking at the lives of the people that interact with Jesus, and certainly as we're looking at the life of Jesus, there are these application points all along the way that we need to lean into. And so what we find immediately here is that people were respecting Jesus. There was this honor that they were offering Him that they don't offer other people. And so throwing cloaks on this cult... It wasn't because it was just hot out and they were trying to alleviate the heat from the cult on Jesus. It was literally to give Jesus a cushion for riding the donkey into town. You didn't treat Jesus like just any regular old person. So you put these blankets over, these cloaks over, and in doing so, you create this buffer, this cushion. He doesn't overheat, and it's much more comfortable going down this road because donkeys apparently are not overly comfortable to ride. And then on top of that, the disciples that were there, and this is not just talking about the 12, but all those who were following after the teachings of Jesus, they were throwing their cloaks down in front of this donkey. Now, I want you to picture that if you can. I mean, everywhere this donkey was approaching, and people were throwing cloaks down on the road. So, so much respect being offered to Jesus that even the donkey's hooves were not to be touching the dirt. That's how much respect there was for Jesus in this point. 
The disciples were not just simply being nice to him. And when he came near the city of Jerusalem, there were these tons of people that were out there and they were just cheering for Jesus. Now, I want you to keep something in mind here because this is critical. There were no media alerts to keep people informed. There were no billboards around. There were no phones that people could just text and, and group text and invite people into something. There wasn't a Facebook event that you could create. There, there, the only way that they could have known that Jesus was coming to town was word of mouth. And I want you to, again, just picture it. The murmur. Guess who's coming? Jesus is coming. Remember the guy that we told you about? He did all these miracles over here. Uh, he, he's from, you know, he's from Galilee. He did all this kind of great stuff in Capernaum. He, he did this thing on the Sea of Galilee. He walked on water like this guy. He's coming to town. And this murmur was spreading all over the place. There was so much excitement about Jesus coming to town that, that the crowds erupted as they see him approaching. That's impressive. That's exceedingly impressive. Because nowadays, we need to advertise in every form of media that we could possibly find, including word of mouth, in order to get people to gravitate towards something. I mean, imagine this. We would tell you that Jesus is coming to church. And we sent it out in an email, but because we don't check our email, we don't know he's coming. This is word of mouth. People so excited that Jesus was coming to town that they were sharing it with others. And this whole crowd... Without the aid of a worship team, a song leader, without the aid of, of instruments, and without the aid of a PA system, started joyfully praising God. They praised Jesus for the miracles they had seen. And, even, and it says here exactly that uh, in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down Mount Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, for the miracles they had seen. Now, the idea here of the miracles they had seen, you have to understand that not every single person that was present had seen all the miracles. And so this is a, a, a large blanket statement, an umbrella statement of all those that were present. So here's what that means. You and I will have had different experiences with Jesus, different miraculous things happening in our play, in our lives, where Jesus moved in ways that we didn't expect. We call that a miraculous movement of Jesus. And so when those things are taking place and we share those stories with each other, we're to be excited here. And then you share your story and we get excited. And I share my story. And we get excited. My story, your story, get excited, 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 excited. And it just builds and builds and builds. And that was what was taking place here. People were praising Jesus because of the miracles that they had seen, because the movement that they had seen, Jesus began. And so I want you to understand that this wasn't just simple blah event. Now, for those of us here in Canada, this would be like the mega Stanley Cup celebration. Huge, loud, cheering, food, <laughs> all these great things that we attribute to celebrating. All of this stuff is, is in this. And so there were songs that they all knew. And we, we know them as psalms. And they were singing them. They were crying them out. They were yelling them at the top of their lungs. This was not a solemn event. This was celebratory. It was loud. Why? Because Jesus was coming to town. Messiah was coming to town. The King of Kings was coming to town. So shouting joyfully, 
They did whatever they could to make known that they were wanting to praise God. Man, I would have loved to have been there. I mean, can you imagine? You, you, you enter into town, you hadn't quite heard what was going on yet, and then you just hear this roar of people shouting, celebrating, excited, and, and smiles all over the place. And I imagine for some people there were tears running down their faces because of this long-awaited Messiah coming. Can you imagine how amazing that would have been? And how you would have been stirred by it to join in it? Question. Do we show God that much respect? I think sometimes we, we treat God a little bit too much like just a friend. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, Jesus is all about walking up right beside us and, and walking forward in life with us. But he did that with the disciples too. And what we find with them is that they, they threw their cloaks down in front of the donkey so that the donkey's toes were not touching the dirt because it carried Jesus. What respect do we offer Jesus? I mean, just think about it. How much respect does he get from you? Here, we could say that, yeah, there, there would have been all the smells and there probably was the, in the market, the food and all that kind of stuff, but it's not like there was some big reception, you know, in terms of an after-party event here. There was no live entertainment. There was just literally Jesus coming into town on the back of a donkey. Just a genuine celebration taking place. In other words, they didn't approach it as if to get something out of it. They approached it to give into it. The respect that they had for Jesus, this praising of Jesus came out of them towards Jesus for the good things that he had done, not for the good things that they wanted from him. How do we approach him? And people honestly praising God out of respect for what he's done. I mean, it's... I remember being younger, not being pastor yet, fairly new believer. And I remember um, being brand new into the church. And I didn't really have a concept of what church was supposed to be like. All I knew is we were supposed to gather and we were supposed to gather around his word and gather for prayer and gather, gather for worship. And, and these are the things that we were learn from him and we praise him. And that was kind of my understanding of the relationship. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to build my relationship with you. And then I'm going to praise you. And, and for me, the life of praise is a life of service. And, and so all of those things come together. But I found that people were asking questions that I didn't know um, were normal questions to ask. I, I found myself with my friendship group learning that it was okay to skip out on church if I didn't like the particular preacher that was going to be on that Sunday. Or it was okay to complain about the worship team because we didn't like somebody's vocals or somebody's instrumentation. Or, you know, if we didn't like the sound or we didn't like the smell in the, in the sanctuary or didn't like the hymn books, whatever it was, we... We seem to have given ourselves this freedom to evaluate, critique. I felt it was burdensome more than joyful. You don't see that here. What you see is the king coming to town and people are excited about it. That's what you see. 
There wasn't a song leader. There wasn't a, a structure necessarily to it. He came. They praised. That was it. I would really love to be more like that. I know I'm not. I carry with me still my preferences. And, and I, I wish I could just set my preferences aside, but I think being aware of them and evaluating them and, and not holding other people accountable to my preferences, I think is a really important thing. Because I find that from my own life, and maybe you find that too, my preferences get in the way. I found myself not being involved in certain service projects because, oh, this is going to sound terrible. When I was younger, um, to some extent, it felt like they were a little beneath me because I, I, I felt in my head that I was above those things. I don't feel that anymore. I want to respect God for what he's done. Not necessarily for all these different things that I benefit from. I want to respect him. I want to cheer him on. I want to celebrate him because he's king. I celebrate him because he is this servant creator who, and even in that, the language of that is, is like so almost contradictory that he's the creator of all things and yet he serves his creation. And ah, oh, the humility. I want to be more like that. I want to respect him that way. I want to lean in. I want to celebrate. Not get tripped up by my own junk. How about you? Are you like the crowd? Are you respecting Jesus? And when I say respecting Jesus, I'm not talking about do you wear a hat or not in church. I'm not talking about do you dress up or not. Like I'm talking about like in your heart of hearts. Does it honor him for who he is? And not just what we like. What do you like? Where's your, where's your heart in all of that? Because I find that when I evaluate it, I, I want to strip away the stuff that's from me that blocks it. And I just want to celebrate him because he's amazing. And I think sometimes my stuff gets in the way. And in this story, we find that there were people present at this whose own stuff got in the way. The reaction of the Pharisees. Now, we give these Pharisees a bad rap. You know, we, we talk about the Pharisees as if they're just these blatantly evil people and, and, and there's nothing good about them and this and that. And, and I think it's important for us to reorient our thinking a little bit. Um, yeah, of course, there were, there, were, there were those who were plotting against Jesus and everything. But you have to understand that, that a lot of these people didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And, and so because of that, they saw him as somebody who was leading the people astray. They saw him as somebody who was potentially creating problems for them in Jerusalem, especially on Passover. You see, at this time, all the people that were cheering Jesus, the Pharisees were present and they were witnessing all of this. But they weren't the only ones there. You see, the Roman guards would have been there as well. And around Passover were so many Jewish people being in Jerusalem at that one time. There's the fear of an uprising. And so more military presence would have been there from Rome. And somebody disrupting everything 
would potentially have led to a slaughter. And so they're looking at this celebration partly because they don't like what's being said, but also in part because of the ruckus that it creates, the um, the fear that it invokes within them is a fear for the people, not just a dislike of Jesus. They don't want the people to be slaughtered. So there's, there's a compassion piece within this regarding the Pharisees as well. And so when we read this story, I want us to understand that, that they're not just talking about the things being said, but they're also talking about the fact that there's this loudness that's there, and it would have drawn the attention to this group. Then with what's being said, you know, talking about blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, that, that's a language that would have gone straight up the hill over to Pontius Pilate as something that would have been showing them to be a usurper. And of course, the, the military would have come right down on them for it. So there's more going on in here that we have to understand and, and we have to give maybe a little bit of grace. We don't hear that very often. Give a little grace to the Pharisees. Um, but these... These people that were present, they were worse than just the opposing team fans. Uh, we have to understand that not only was there a concern for the people, but there was a genuine hatred of Jesus. I mean, they hated everything he stood for. I mean, again, you heard me say this earlier in, in Luke, that Jesus had just come from sitting with Zacchaeus. You know, a wee little man was he? Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And a tax collector is considered a traitor within Jerusalem, within all of, of um, Israel. And the reason is because he's collecting taxes for the Roman government, and he's often cheating his own people. But he is an agent of the oppressor. Remember that Israel considered Rome the oppressor, and so the tax collector is an agent of the oppressor. And when the tax collector is a fellow Israelite, a fellow Jew, That's treason. And so he was one of the lowest of the low. And so Jesus calling him by name, being familiar with him, right, and, and creating a, a relationship there, and to dine in his home, to break bread, to have table fellowship with Zacchaeus. That was a scandal. You see, uh, a, a, rabbi, a proper rabbi would never do that. He wouldn't associate with a sinner. And yet Jesus does. And so they hate all of this stuff about him. They hated the fact also that he was getting more attention than they were. And so they finally come up with this idea uh, of, of getting him to silence his disciples. And they, they say to him, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now this idea of a rebuke is this harshness towards somebody to correct their behavior, to turn them from here to over here in, in, in a very quick fashion. It was abrupt, it was harsh, uh, and, and not concerned about the emotional state of the other person at all. And so he says, rebuke your disciples. And so here's my question. In all of this, they're looking what's taking place. And rather than being excited about the celebrating, rather than uh, seeing their king come and, and fulfilling prophecy. They wanted everything silenced. Do we react the same as the Pharisees? I think we often get upset because something's happening that we're not a part of. 
Uh, we get the idea that if we're not a part of it, then it's not worth it. Then it might not even be right. It may not, you know, it doesn't fit our ideology. It doesn't, it's not our preference. We get the idea of this. And so sometimes I think it's done out of jealousy. So we're uncomfortable at the success of others. And it fascinates me in the Bible Belt. That we would look at the success of another congregation as a negative rather than something to celebrate. That's bizarre to me. Absolutely bizarre. Let's say for a moment you have two churches on the same street. And these two churches on the same street love Jesus. They worship Him. They're discipling people. They're growing people. They're on mission. One church has figured out a way to capture the hearts of a certain demographic while another church has figured out another way to capture the hearts of different people. But one has a larger demographic they're reaching and they grow and they grow and they grow. And these guys are growing slower. There's a jealousy that can sometimes take place there, right? These guys could become jealous of these guys. These guys could become potentially self-righteous saying we're doing all of it right and all these kinds of things. When instead, this should be like celebrating each other because in partnership with each other, which is what they in fact actually are, more people are being reached for Jesus. We may not always find it comfortable, but we should celebrate it. It's done out of jealousy, discomfort, sometimes confusion. We don't know what people are up to, and so we're suspicious. You can't have jealousy. We're serving the same God. And so you have Jesus coming in on the cult. You have the celebrating taking place. They're honoring the same God. And the Pharisees are coming along and treating it as if they're not honoring the same God. Because it's not being done their way. Because they don't appreciate what's being said. And they certainly don't appreciate the volume of it. Hmm. I think there's moments of God that require evaluation to see whether or not what's taking place is biblical. But what is preferred and what is biblical are not always exactly the same thing. And so I believe within my heart of hearts that we should always celebrate that which is biblical, even if it's at the expense of what's preferred. You catch that? We should always celebrate what is biblical, even if it's at the expense of what is preferred. And I think that's important. Saying things like, well, I wouldn't do it that way, so that that way must not be right. Really? Jesus did a lot of things in a way that was very different than the priests of their day. Was it wrong? It wasn't their preference. I'm going to lean in Jesus' direction on this one. And I think it's important for us. That when we look at stories like this, that we evaluate our own lives as we relate to it. And to be sure that we do not take something that's of God, that is being celebrated, honored, excited, and dismiss it as something not to participate in because we didn't start it, but rather celebrate with people. Because what should have happened here was that the Pharisees join in with the crowd. And then, of course, because they're addressing Jesus, he responds and he says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, talking about the crowd, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
That is one of my favorite verses. Jesus is so much wiser than the Pharisees. Uh, and he's so much more powerful than they gave him credit for. He could use stones if he wanted to. I mean, I want you to picture this. Like, you've got this giant crowd. They're celebrating. It's, it's cheering. It's amazing. And Jesus being the, remember, like to him, through him, and for him are all things that have been created. And so he was part of the creation story, right? You know, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. All of this kind of stuff comes into this culmination in this statement where he says that if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. So what he's saying is that he is the God of creation. And if his creation that he gave voices to will not praise him, then the creation that he makes that did not get voices will cry out. And I wonder what that would have sounded like. That would have been pretty amazing, I think. And I mean, if you really want to shock the Pharisees at that point, this is a great statement, right? Because the, their notion of worship of God is one thing, but to suggest that the stones are going to cry out. And then even in doing so, he's acknowledging the fact that this isn't even the stone's job. The stone's job is to be a stone. And the created person, their job is to be the child of God. In this context, we have people praising God, doing exactly what they were created to do. Not based on preferences, not based on what they got out of it, not based on fear, or at least you know, uh, dismissing the fear and leaning into the worship, because it's not like they didn't know that Rome could have come in and, and dismantled uh, this entire celebration. And so what we have here is this incredible challenge. If we don't worship with celebration because the king has come, if we don't do our job, the stones will. I don't want rocks to do my job. Like taking something that's inanimate to do the work of something that is animate, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want Jesus to resort to using a stone to praise him because... Again, if I go back to the respect piece, he's worth more than that. And, and regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of whether I'm in the mood or not, regardless of, of, of the struggles that I'm facing, Jesus is still God. And, and one of the things to praise him for is that he's present in those spaces with us, even when we don't necessarily feel him. The truth is, he's there. So I want to do my job. I want to praise Him. I want to lift my voice to Him loudly and ignore my preferences, whatever they may be. And it's more than a job. It's a privilege. It is something that should be treated as a privilege. We, we were created in the image of God, not a stone. We were created with vocal cords, not a stone. We were created with the capacity to think and understand and, and, and posit notions of the greatness of God, not a stone. And so it's a privilege to worship Him. Like, why would we want a rock to do our job? I mean, imagine it this way. A company comes to you and they decide they just don't need you anymore. And so instead, they, you know, they got a trained chimp to do your job. 
I think, I think we'd all be pretty upset by that, right? It, I, I'm trying to imagine what a trained chimp would look like doing my job right now. <laughs> I mean, it'd be pretty funny. But I think I'd also be pretty upset. I think I feel like it would I would feel devalued in that, right? Like you got a chimp to do my job. What are you saying that I'm not as intelligent as a chimp? Are you saying that I can't do the work as a chimp? Are you like what are you saying here about me? Well, let's just take it even further. They say, well, you know what? Uh, we're just going to fire you because we found that rocks are cheaper and easier to deal with. Really. I mean, wouldn't that make you angry? Wouldn't that make you upset? But if we don't do our job in praising the Lord, and this is essentially what he's saying. He's saying that like rocks would take our place. Don't let it happen. Look, this Easter season, I'll just close with this. This Easter season, like just take a minute and reflect on what God actually means to you. Look, I know that we're in a, in a time of life right now where we feel like so much has been taken away from us. We feel like uh, everywhere we go, there's rules to follow and it elevates our anxiety. We don't get to meet with people in the way that we appreciate meeting with people. We, um, we're fearful because we don't know if we share our opinions about something, we're going to anger somebody. If we don't share our opinions about something, are we going to anger somebody? And, and there's confusion all over the place from leaders and it's a mess. And yet he's still God. It's fascinating to me that we focus on this myopic experience that we're having. And when you take a step back from it, let me tell you, there's an evangelism explosion going on worldwide right now. There are reports all over the world of people coming to faith in droves. Why? Think about it this way. It's so amazing to me. Um, we worldwide Christians were frustrated that we weren't able to meet in person and it required uh, for us to be able to uh, have impact with the gospel they required almost every single congregation to go online with their services Do you have any idea what that means in terms of opportunity for reaching people with the gospel message and that's in fact what's actually been taking place so what we can say is that what was intended for bad, God made good. Just like Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for bad, God made good. Israel was blessed because of Joseph and God's movement in Joseph's life in that time in Genesis. And so even in this time where we feel distant from each other, where we feel like there's too much online stuff, not enough online stuff, all these different things that we're dealing with, understand that God is still moving. So even now, we should be motivated to praise God because God's not restricted even when we are. And it's not just some emotional motivation. It's like a deeper praising of God. And there's that song, like, I will praise you in the storm. I've walked with a lot of people who've been through a lot of storms and there's something unique about the capacity to give honor to the Lord even in those difficult times. Don't, don't restrict God. And, and, and so in that, I would say like in evaluating, like look for how much do we respect Him? How much do we value Him? How much do we honor Him and cherish Him and celebrate Him? That's one thing, because that's what the crowd was doing. But in the same way, let's evaluate it and say, hey, look, I don't want to be like the Pharisees on this thing. I don't want to quench something good that is happening just because it's not my style. 
just because I'm fearful of the, of the effects that it might have on something. And so I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't want to stop somebody from singing out praises to God, giving honor to God, just because I may not be comfortable with how they're doing it. I got to change that. I got to move in a different direction. And, and so I think this is where it's really important that we separate our preferences, our ideas from Scripture. So before we speak out against something, I really think it's important that we have biblical reasons for why it's wrong, not just rational reasons for why it not be right. So you won't find me making comments on someone's attire at church, how they dress, because that's my issue, not theirs. Certainly not God's. I mean, in the scripture, if you really want to look at it, don't dress too much up, don't dress too much down. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay. Simple. That's the biblical idea of modesty. Modesty is not just don't be scantily clad. Modesty is actually the idea of don't adorn yourselves with all kinds of jewels and makeup and stuff is what we're told. And so um, let's make sure that when we're evaluating something, we don't go too far in any other direction, and we separate what is our opinion, we separate what is our preference from what is scriptural, and we submit those things to what is scriptural. Otherwise, we're no different than the Pharisees. Don't be like a Pharisee. Celebrate those things of God as we celebrate God together. And then lastly, I think for all of us, let's not let the rocks do our jobs. Even in the difficulty, even um, when we feel as though things don't make sense, even when we feel oppressed, we know that the crowd was able to praise God. They saw the Savior coming, and we have the Savior that came. We're not oppressed. We serve the King of all kings. We're created in the image of God Himself. And He walks with us. He goes before us. And in the end, if you read the end of the story, He wins. What an amazing God that we get to celebrate. And so on this Palm Sunday, let us not be rocks. Let us be worshipers of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time. And I thank you, Jesus, that you give us these examples for us to look at and evaluate our own lives as we try to align ourselves to a biblical worldview. And so we want to be people who respect you more. And so Jesus, would you help us to see the things in our lives that need to be altered in order for us to be able to move in that direction? Jesus, may we be um, more like you, this idea of preventing people from worshiping you because we're not comfortable with how it's being done. Uh, Lord, that we would be people that would lean into your word like you modeled to be able to form our opinions. And anything else we have, Lord, may we bring that under the subject of Scripture. May, may we submit it to the authority of Scripture. And in all things, Jesus, may we honor and praise you for who you are. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen.